You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Late Night Live. Hot topics discussed daily from 11pm onwards. Get involved by calling 0141-375-3434 or search Radio Ramadan 365. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's... Uh... Your host, Dr. Nadeem Bhatti, and mm-hmm. it's one minutes past 11. Uh, you're listening to Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM, and this is Late Night Live. And I'm joined by my two other co-hosts with the most, <laughs> Abdul and Yazbai. Assalamu alaikum. Are you there? Wa alaikum yeah. salam. Wa salam, Nadeem. How are you doing, guys? How's your day been so far, then? This is the... Um, Monday the 18th. Have you, how's the, how's your fast been today? Yeah, well today, I'm actually finding actual fasting, alhamdulillah, quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, only the last maybe hour, 45 minutes, you, you feel a bit dehydrated. Uh, yeah. The hunger's never been a problem, alhamdulillah, I'm able to control yeah. that. Um, and it's really keeping yourself busy through the hours hopefully trying to do it, making the most of it as it were and yep. as you know yourself and everyone else that's listening um we're at the kind of the home straight now as it were aren't we so absolutely not long to go now absolutely how about you Niazbay? hey um i'm i'm rock and rolling with um the brilliant <laughs> news that's going on and just finding Plenty of things hilarious. So, oh, go on, tell me. You got to tell me what what things are you you finding enjoyable? Well, what news? Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Corona time. Um, yeah, right. So, so basically, El Presidente, um, President said he's been taking uh, chloroquine mm. for weeks. Hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. The good stuff, not the fish cleaner, mind you. <laughs> Um, for weeks now, <laughs> so the media is having a buzz uh, on it, and uh, you know I'm, I'm just uh, baffled uh, beyond belief. Um, and apart from that, you know, uh, I think well, it is a strange thing, isn't it? Because all the scientific evidence seems to be that it doesn't make any difference; and it doesn't work. But you know, um, he seems to kind of push on with what he wants to do, regardless. <laughs> but you know, uh, what can I say? I guess, I don't know about you, but I just find that with, um, you know, things seem, the news seems to change about what we should be doing in uh, this coronavirus time almost every day. And today it seems to have changed hourly. Um, so it's in really, America, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Here, here we have stability. We have good <laughs> governance. We have, you know, things that, you know, sensibilities. But um, uh, from family that are over there, they're going, what? Right. Well, I mean, a lot of changes happening today, you know, over the rest of Europe. Um, Italy's reopening its bars, cafes, restaurants, hairdressers with social distancing measures in place. And that's probably been the first time since the lockdown began. So, you know, they've kind of moved on <laughs> to their second phase. Um Global, global infections, I think, have gone past about 4.7 million, um, as I wrote down here. Uh, quite a few. Japan's fallen into some uh, into recession, first recession since 2015. 
Um, South Africa is reporting its highest daily increase in cases. Um, new virus cases in Russia are under 9,000 <coughs> for the first time since the 1st of May. Um, so I guess that's for them, that's a kind of stabilization. They think things are getting better. Sad news in Brazil, the mayor of Sao Paulo, Brazil, said that hospitals there are near collapse because they, yeah. you know, the, 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 you know, that's a, you know, great shame. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, and, uh, Thailand's economy contracted for the first time. You're, you're, I know this is your field, Niaz, the sort of business world, but, um, I don't know. Um, it was nice to see that some of the car manufacturers and everything have, um, you know, um, come back into, you know, they're, they're starting their factories up again. Absolutely. Um, Mercedes and a few others. I've got a friend of mine who is an automaker in logistics. Um, so they're suppliers to the industries from BMW, you name it, some of the biggest manufacturers out there. And, uh, you know, he was saying he's still working from home. Mm -hmm. um, they all are, and they're in Germany, and um, Mercedes is starting to open up and some other ones. So there is orders um, all the time, but it is a slow process. If, if there's an issue with, uh, uh, you know, infection spreading, they're going to close down. So yeah. Yeah, you have to do it very cautiously. And, and I, I respect Merkel. She's doing a great job, I think. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah. one to, to certainly learn from. But um, generally, financial news, it's okay. We had a green market today, mm -hmm. um, and we're just looking for um, the numbers to come through in this quarter. So, you know, that, that'll make a couple of right days, meaning yeah. market. Abdulaziz, uh, anything, anything caught your eye today in the papers? Yeah, yeah, well, there's, obviously there's that slight sad news, obviously, down south. The young lady got, was oh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Absolutely um, terrible. I was really touched by that. Uh, this was the young lady, I think she was 19, yeah. walking around the town centre in Blackburn. I think she was going to get some food for her family to break the fast, and she got shot there by somebody go, yeah. driving past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Aya Hashem, Hashem, I think her name was. She was only yeah, 19 yeah. years old, mashallah. Uh, oh Shahid yeah. today, so um, you know you can only you, you couldn't imagine what the family are going through just now. No, uh, no, and she, yeah. I think she was a she was a law student, is that right? Yeah, yeah, she was an absolute star in her uh, in her uh, field, uh, loved by all her peers. Um, she was a real, you know, kind of uh, sparkle in their eyes, as it were, and obviously of her parents, and uh, you know, she was uh, a, a real bubbly character. Uh, so I read later on just a little while ago, apparently they've got three men arrested for it, but, you know, that doesn't, unfortunately, that doesn't bring her back or no. make it better for the family, as it were. No, But it's no. so sad that these things are happening uh, and life is so fragile. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Sad, well, sad I, I guess from that point of view, I guess we want to talk about something else that seemed quite fragile, that's the the environment and climate change. So today's program, we're going to be looking at not just climate change, but the environment and what's going to happen after lockdown or what could happen. So we've got three fantastic guests on today. Um, first guest I'd like to introduce is Professor Charles Russell, um, who is um, 
a, a, a climate change uh, management um, consultant. I don't know if I've said that correctly. He can correct me. Um, the other guest we have is Mark Hibbert, who is an environmental activist, and also uh, Zarina Ahmed, who's, uh, I think, been on the radio before. She's also an environmental activist. I uh, just want to say hello to all of you. Hello, Nadim. I think you've given me a promotion. I'd love to be a professor. <laughs> I'm not quite one yet at the uni, but um, nevertheless, uh, I'm, I'm a program leader in, in climate justice and, and environmental management. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we always like to promote people on this show <laughs> <laughs> as much as we can. So, um, and Mark, uh, you just want to tell us about yourself? You're... Um, well, back again from a second innings. Yeah, yes, yes. Oh, it's fantastic. Good to be back with you boys again. Um, what do I need to say? So, uh, of a certain age and... Um, um, member of two boards for two relatively small uh, solar installers and um, proud to be a member of the Foundation for Climate Restoration. Fantastic. Um, so uh, very much uh, into that and seeing what we can do to make a difference here. Fantastic. And Sister Zarina, you're, if you wanted to say hello and just tell hi, us what hi, you everybody. do. Hi, everybody. Hi everybody, I'm Serena and um, I've been working on climate change for God over 10 years, nearly 12, 15 years now. I've been working with communities to get them to become more active around climate change and look at what they can do. So it's looking at like personal, personal actions, collective actions and also campaigning and activism and looking at climate justice here. Yeah. Fantastic. And just for the listeners out there, I just want to say Zarina has been really, really um brave and helpful to come on the show today because she's actually been recovering from coronavirus herself and Zarina hope you're feeling much much better um, I'm getting there my voice is still as you can hear my voice is still yeah. um, I'm still struggling still struggling to speak a little bit yeah but I'm getting mashallah. there mashallah you're doing you're doing great um, so I guess if I could ask um, maybe start with you uh, uh, Charlie or Dr Russell if I could ask you, how do you see the environment changing after lockdown? Or how have you seen um, the impact of this whole coronavirus episode on the environment? Well, it's a, it's a great question because we, we, we've seen, haven't we, really the, the massive amount of drop in transport particularly. Uh, and so many more people at home. So the amount of energy being expended traveling everywhere has made a big difference. And I, I suspect that um, we'll see quite a big impact in the emissions graphs next year when they're reported or in a year and a half's time, actually. Um, but um, so we'll see that. And I, I also think probably the, the sort of the you know, recessions, as we're, we're heading into recession, um, recessions do cause a drop down, you know, a, a, a major drop in the emissions, um, which if you're working in this field, that's kind of a good thing. But unfortunately, it means quite a big impact on people's lives, which is not a good thing in terms of, you know, the e e economy going down. So um, probably in some ways, I think we're probably going to see you know, quite a sort of healthy set of books coming from 
um, government's reporting. But on the other side, I think, Nadim, and it would be interesting to see what my colleagues think about this, but often after this, there's a real tendency for a bigger bounce back. And certainly the narrative coming from the politicians here in the UK and in the US, the drive is for the bounce back and very much probably likely to be, um, unlike in Germany or maybe other sort of forward-thinking countries like New Zealand, um, less sort of going for the, the green revolution, but more from a, um, using fossil fuel to energize that. And, of course, that, that becomes a sort of counterproductive issue. So at the moment, it's great. Um, I think we're seeing what it could be like. Um, and um, But I think that, you know, we're at real risk for bouncing back worse. That's, that's my view at the moment. Yeah, uh, hi, uh, Zarina, Mark, and do you want to do you want to comment on that? So, yeah, can I can I come in there? Uh, sure, of course. Uh, yeah, I actually agree um, with you totally about the bounce back. I was actually having an interesting conversation with my daughter, um, because me being an activist and and probably ide ideologist and, and you know idealistic person, thinking that after this people are going to start thinking in a different way and thinking more greener and thinking about what we've done in terms of capitalism and how much we use and trying to reduce that. So I had very much positive outlook to think this is a great opportunity. Whereas my daughter then um, reminded me quite harshly, mum, she goes, you know, you, you've got to look, come out of this bubble because in reality, people are going to go back to normal, not just back to normal, but they're going to go back to normal with a bang because they've missed so much. And it's, you know, so there's going to be this even greater demand and want for things because they've missed it. And obviously, economically, we're going to have this horrible bounce back as well. And that is worrying. But again, we have opportunities to maybe influence some of that and say, look, well, hold on, maybe we don't want that. Mm. How about you, Mark? What, what do you think about that? Um, I'm in, in agreement with um, Serena and Charlie. It's, um, you know, the, the idealist um, in me would, would love to see uh, an alteration in the, in the direction of travel. Um, but the realist or maybe the cynic in the, um, the sceptic is thinking that we'll probably go back to, you know, lots of the ways which create more and more of the pollution. The one thing, the one thing I do think we shall change, and it seems to be um, in the conversation with a lot of people I've been speaking to, is that Zoom and other such video conferencing uh, tools um, will be used more often because they, they are cheaper uh, and they save a lot more time. Um, and I think that will that will at least alleviate some of the costs of travel and, and whatnot. Um, but unfortunately, yes, I have I have a sceptic's view. So yes, um, that, that's a kind of it's funny when this whole uh, coronavirus uh, situation started. Everybody was a lot more optimistic about not going back to the new normal. But I'm sensing that that seems to have changed as we're getting closer to an actual lockdown uh, ending. Uh, I don't know what you think. If I can uh, give the example, let's fast forward to America in terms of what they've been doing the last week. Fifty of the states are 
opening up, opened up, and there was queues of people trying to get to, I think it was the Grand Canyon, in cars. So absolutely not. You know, the, I don't think their, the culture there has taken this into account. However, perhaps I'm hoping um, we do here. Um, it's a very different culture, uh, which um, I think everyone here will understand far better. Um, you know, and, and perhaps some more people will go on their bicycles. And I've noticed certainly now there's a lot more uh, cycles that have been sold here in the UK. Um, if I can ask uh, um, Charles, what do you think of the as we ease ease up into this year? Because I don't think it's going to be an overnight. Uh, um, thing. It's going to be in multiple stages uh, quite sensibly. Do you think that um, I would be right to assume that there will still be people, say, cycling because it is uh, a much safer way to get into work? Yeah, I think that the there's definitely a, a push, I think, for that in the cities, encouraging you know the you know bringing in these uh, pop-up cycle lanes and so on. I, I I don't live in Glasgow, and so I I I feel like I'm a little bit out of the out of the loop. What's happening there? But I believe that they're they're opening that up in Glasgow and in other cities uh, around the country and indeed the world. And there's definitely um, the great potential for that cycling and walking and. The benefits, as I'm sure Dr. Bhatti will tell us, of these kinds of healthier transport um, solutions. But we've also had some very good weather, and I think that that, that you know that people are easy, you know, easier to get outdoors and and do that sort of healthy thing when it's better weather as well. So, what will it be like come November, December, October, that kind of time of year when the weather isn't quite as clement and um, cycling is less attractive but I do think that there will be um, a, a, probably a greater number of people doing that um, of course I mean I, I would imagine that there'll be social distancing in workplaces for quite some time um, and taken quite seriously and that will affect um, many different kinds of organizations I imagine I, mean, I, I work in the education sector um, we're really looking at how that's going to work out for next year. But um, for sure, it, it's going to change how we, how we are, you know, working day to day. And um, so it may be, you know, if there's a limit of number of people traveling in on the train and we're maybe doing something like more shift work or less people coming at one time, um, that will, you know, encourage people to take their bicycles or walk or whatever it is and um, that we may see some more of that, but it's the long term. It's the long term behavior change, and I'm I'm not sure we're quite there with the test of that. I do think it'd be interesting to look and see what other consumption patterns are changing, and um, I'm sure as we get some more information and data around that, it'd be interesting to see. There will be a bounce back, but also. There's an impact, I would imagine, in some of the supply chains for certain goods as well over the period. So um, we answered that question very much uh, 
very clearly, I suppose, because there's maybe no simple answer to it. But yeah, I I think it is going to be different, and um, I think that probably you you'll see more people on more need for bike stands outside offices. Yeah, I, I think I can concur, um, and um, certainly secure places for sure. But uh, I'm, the people in my circle that I've talked to will take their cars is the first preference. So the second preference is um, staying away from public transport and perhaps using their, their cycles or trying to understand how they can get to an office without getting overly soaked or, you know, this logistics to, a new, you know, using a new technique to get in uh, in a safe manner. And I think that, that's clearly a priority for everybody. I think my colleague uh, Abdul had a question. Abdul, are you there? You should be there in a moment. Abdul, are you there? If not, that's okay. Um, Zarina, um, yeah, what are you I was just yeah, I was interested in listening to you about um, cycling Hello. because a lot of the a lot of the research around cycling is that there still isn't a behavioral change to commuting. Most of the increase in cycling has been around recreational cycling and especially like when there's a good weather, you get more people out on the roads in the cycle to, to cycle, but it's mostly for recreational purposes or exercise purposes. There's not that many people still doing it for commuting to work. And, and I think one of the changes that we're going to see is more home working. So there's going to be less people actually traveling in their cars to work because they're going to have that alternative um, option of working from home. And I think that's where, um, I think we're going to get a drop in the number of people using transport, whether sure. it's public transport or whether it's cars. I think it's because we're going to have more people being able to work from home and having that option of working from home. Mm -hmm. uh, hi. Uh, Sam, hi. Uh, okay, come in here, Niaz. Am I on? Yes, go for it. Oh, great. Thank you. Hi, hi, hi guys. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, I was, I was actually wondering, now that we've got possibly what, you know, like so people like um, extension. Ex was it uh, extension rebellion? Wasn't it? Was it that that group of people? Yeah, yeah it's Extin yeah. extinction rebellion. Yeah. So then, when they were kind of in vogue and doing their thing, and then there was other people talking on shows, they were they were actually saying that you know we can't run the country or the world based on GDP. Uh, we we have to look environment. We have to look at environmental. Uh, ways of running the world commercially. So now that we kind of have what Extension Rebellion and other experts in the field were saying, now that we are actually living like that, um, now that we've actually experienced it also, do you think now, what we know now, that we actually can't run the world the way they were and, and because it just doesn't make commercial sense and it's just not inevitable, it can't be done? Charles, do you want to come in with that? Um, well, um, a couple of things about that. Um, this has been discussed at quite high political levels, as I'm sure uh, Zarina and Mark would uh, comment as well. But um, the uncoupling of GDP with um, with the sort of economic indicators and and largely it's to do to do with growth. So this whole idea of growth is 
linked to a greater uh, an, an increase in gross domestic uh, product, and um, that really that idea seemed to be bankrupt as we look at um, a planet with finite resources. And um, so really interesting piece of work that was done by um, uh, an English academic uh, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, who looked at the whole idea of well-being. And um, he, he wrote this, his sort of thesis he was trying to put forward to government was prosperity without growth. So, you know, the more we use materials, you know, whether it's take a flight to New York for a weekend shopping trip or whatever it is you want to do. Charles, yeah. I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to interrupt you there. I've just been told we're going for an ad break. Oh, brilliant. Uh, so we're going to have I'm your commercials. We're just going to have to just break that for the commercials. We don't, I know we're talking about the environment, but we've got to think about our economy as well. So we'll be right back after the commercial break. And if, if that'd be okay, we could pick up on that point. That'd be great. <laughs> Thank you. Just done. hold your thoughts there. Uh, and the listeners, that was a, I was, re I was really getting into that point, but we'll be right back after this ad break. This is your host, uh, Dr. D. Bertie, and uh, we're back uh, with Late Night Live on Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM. And uh, if I can just get back to you, Charlie, you were saying just before the ad break, we were just talking, you were telling us about uh, a really interesting point about GDP and the link, um, the disconnect from that to to well-being. Um, could could you could you tell us a bit more about that? I'm back. Okay, thanks. Hi. Um, all right. So um, this was done a few years ago, and there's a. Um, it's been picked up actually, even by our own first minister, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, was talking about it at a conference last year. Um, the need to move away from GDP and, and as a sort of common metric for effectively success and how economies are doing and the importance of well-being. And it's also been picked up by other world leaders. Interesting, it, it tends to be smaller places like Iceland and New Zealand have picked up on it. And the, the kind of, um, you know, it, it seems to be... Uh, female leaders at the moment who have got a slightly different perspective and um it was new zealand as well i think wasn't new, it that, yeah that, new yeah. zealand yeah yep. jacinta ahern and um you know it's interesting how they've been dealing with the coronavirus as well they've got just different kind of ways of doing things so um the point is we are beginning to uncouple gdp from um economy and particularly from carbon emissions if you look at climate change it's not the only environmental issue we've got to deal with these days but um that is happening in the uk but not in other parts of the world so um we're able to we're beginning to be able to show that um but i think going forward i, I i'm you know very much maybe i'm being hopeful here that we'll value more well-being i think maybe that we kind of almost take certain aspects of it for granted a lot of us and um that there should be a, a, a realignment um, of, of values and, and trying to move away. But it's an addiction, and it's very much like, um, you know, it's changing the course of a ship. You know, like there's a, um, there's, you know, there's very much, this is the way things have been done. If you start changing how things are being done, you, you, you get big resistance, as you're seeing, particularly in, in some of the um, talk from President Trump, for example, at the moment. But, um, others um, are showing similar 
kinds of uh, kickback against these kinds of changes. But yes, I, I think that um, it's good. Um, we, sh we should be looking to move away from that. I, I have to agree. Um, I read Dan Button's um, original article. I, know, I think it was Stop Obsessing About GDP. Um, there's some very interesting elements. Um, and, you know, it's not about going from one extreme to another. Um, the components that uh, are GDP-related are we're talking about consumption, investment, government spending, and then obviously the trade balance. And so the largest proportion of this is consumption. And I think uh, I think uh, the the biggest proponent, as I said, is consumption. And we need to think about our local economies and uh, bas basically investing in, in, in our local economies and then growing business in that area too. Can I just come in there, Charlie? You you said something very interesting about addiction, uh, and you're kind of talking about these economies being addicted to these things. Now, that's something we don't often talk about uh, in terms of the climate and how we use a various food. Can you Can you talk a bit more about that? Well, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm playing with words a little bit, but the behavior often is similar to those who are addicted. Like there's not, you know, people don't really think about it when they're addicted to, let's say, certain drugs. They just need to do it. And um, there's certainly behaviors that are similar. You know, we're, there's an unconsciousness in how we're we're acting. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm being maybe a little bit ungenerous to some of the other people in the show here are probably very conscious about the things that they do. But, you know, as a general theme in society, you know, there's not an awful lot of thought put into, well, how do I, you know, how should I get the kids to school or something in the morning? You know, if you if you turn up at the school gates and you see the number of vehicles still going to school, um, yes, I think we're, we're still, you know, addicted to our cars. We're still... Um, we still think, you know, the stuff that's going in the recycling bin, if we're doing our recycling, that's great. But look, we're still buying lots of produce covered in packaging and the industry is not really tackling that to the level of degree. We just got more stuff going to different places. So it's sort of moving things around. So, yes, I do. I, I think it's maybe a little bit controversial thing to say, but I think that um, some of the work from the earlier um, economists that looked at this, um, people like Jürgen Randers uh, back in the 70s and um, in the, you know, the, the, the Club of Rome group that looked at limits of growth, kind of talked about it in that way. And, you know, we've got to kind of uncouple this kind of need to, you know, consume all the time. The things that we, are, you know, global travel being like almost a human right now, you know, like if, if you threaten to take people's summer holidays away from them you know that that's an election issue so we've got some some issues to deal with you know and and how do we do this in the in the long term I, I am being a little bit um throwing it out there being a bit provocative but i i do think it is that serious um mark or zarina have you got anything to say about that um funnily enough we just had a a question uh sent in from one of the listeners who said that, you know, this idea of well-being is being promoted by Nicola Sturgeon as well. So it seems here in Scotland uh, that's certainly something that they're looking at as well. 
But um, uh, uh, Mark, uh, Zira, yeah. do you like to say anything about that? Yeah, I, I would. Um, so I, I do concur with Charlie. It's um, interesting how it seems to be female leaders who are taking the lead on this particular conversation. Um, so, you know, interesting to see where the focus is. Um, something around the, the whole idea of consuming stuff uh, and the idea of waste, we, there's something around the acceptance of this, of that is the way it is, and that it's somehow normal. Um, we, and we normalize that idea in the way we use language, in the, in the actions we take. Maybe there's another way of, of um, using different language so that we start shifting the direction of travel. Um, you know, there's um, there's um, and I can't remember names now, but there's there's proponents for the idea that waste as a conversation disappears, the so-called zero waste idea, the circular economy idea, so that waste is is a concept which doesn't exist, and maybe the same could be said for consumption. That rather than expanding consumption. We actually only consume what we actually need, um, and there may have to be a shift in our perception in the way we relate to maybe it's the planet and the resources and the limited resources it has, um, and to start maybe looking at different types of value systems rather than valuing what we have as, as objects, which are, you know, they don't last for very long to valuing something else, maybe like community, maybe like relationships, and have that become the forefront of how we go forward. Um, there was um, uh, a book which Charlie mentioned about the, the Club of Rome called The Limits of Growth. It's a book, it's a really, it's difficult to get hold of, but it's a great book to read because it really does show you in, in, in very stark language that you know the the the, the climate the the biosphere we live in has is limited that you know we cannot overuse it we do, if we do so we do it at our at, at not just our cost but the cost of the biosphere itself and we start yeah. to do so we start to see the impacts of doing that um less so on us in the west here who are you know we, we're rich and fairly cushioned from such things mm -hmm. But more so in in the South, who you know, in, with with um, more marginal societies who have less resources and less wealth to be able to cushion themselves from some of the impacts. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I hand it over to others. Yeah, uh, is it is it Mark? Is it? Yes, indeed. Yeah, Mark. How are you, how are you doing? Nice to hear I'm from good. you again. No, likewise, Abdul. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, the last time I think, Mark, you were on, you, you mentioned that you were in Africa. Yeah, in Tanzania. Yeah, yeah. That's correct. Now, remind me if, if, I'm right, if, uh, if I'm wrong here, you experienced a family living and there was literally no waste. Yeah, the idea yeah. Wasn't, didn't exist. I don't know if there's even a word in, in Swahili for it. Actually, I need to find yeah. out. So, but the, but the behaviours uh, were that everything had a use. Exactly, and, and, and we we people from Europe would chuck would 
we put it in the recycling bin and the local people the local villagers would pick it up and say well actually i've got yeah. the use of this thank you yeah. <laughs> that, that you know that's that's the very point i was actually coming on to mention to elaborate from what you've just mentioned with regards to packaging and waste and the actual norm that we're living in now yeah. i've just put my two bins out my green bin my black bin and my blue bin <coughs> my, just in one week my blue bin is full to the top and i'm ashamed of that Mm. I've just put it out in the street right now. So, and that's, we're only three. It's my daughter, my wife, and my, myself. Now, mm-hmm. uh, I've came from Pakistan a few months ago, and I was in our own village, I stay in the village, and I would say maybe nine, ten people, they don't even have a bin. There's no bin. The only waste they have is like the dust and the little bits of dirt on the floor that they put to the side and then maybe chuck on their, their heap maybe and it's, it's, it's minimal. So m- my point is this, in order for to change the climate, do we need an absolute massive behavioural change? And if we do so, you know, there's going to be a lot of losses involved because we're going to have to cut out, you know, packaging. We're going to have to go to supermarkets and just take our own containers, take our own bottles, you know, measure things, go back to the old ways. Is that what really realistic? What has to happen to have some change? I think, I think it's part of it, Abdul. Um, I think it needs uh, yes, that that's that's part of it. But I, I, for me, I think it's it's going to require. And I'm looking at myself, right, a, a, a consumer, right. And I'm I'm looking at the place, this room where I'm sat here with all the things and gadgets yeah. in it. Yeah, I'm thinking to myself, oh my, you know what, you know what? How do I start shifting my my personal yeah. uh, habits here? Yeah, uh, it's no good pointing at somebody else. I got to look at myself, and uh, it's it's confronting, right? Um, you know, and I'm I'm actually now looking at it, physically looking at this stuff around me and thinking. My God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't have an answer to what you say. I think you're you're onto something, but I think it, it it's a conversation we need to have. Um, and there's something Charlie and I had a I, yeah. I know Charlie really well, and uh, we we did we had a quick chat before we came on the call here, and um, one of the things we saw was maybe we need. To, Rather than go coming from the idea of scarcity, okay, maybe we need to shift the way we we've come at this um, climate change conversation. At the moment, there's a it occurs to me there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of scarcity, um, and worry and anxiety, and yeah, and and, and understandable. But maybe we need to come at it from well, what what's the future? Yeah, well, what sort of future do we, as seven billion, seven and a half billion souls on this planet, want? Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. maybe we need to shift the conversation and interrupt yeah. the direction of travel by having creating a completely new conversation. There's a guy called um, uh, Crikey, what's his name? Buckminster Fuller, and he said, and I'm going to paraphrase. I can't remember the exact quote. 
He said, in order to change the current um, paradigm or the current way things are, you have to create something new which makes the existing paradigm obsolete. Mm. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So maybe we need to start looking there. What is it, you know, what do we really want? Is this the direction of travel we want? Okay. If it isn't, what do we want? And it's not just as a nation. Okay. Is that okay if we bring in is that okay if we bring in Zarina here? Zarina, yeah, would you like to respond to that? Yeah, um I I get a little bit frustrated because I've been working on climate change with um with communities to look at like behaviour change. Right. For a start, I think behaviour change is is probably the wrong way to approach looking at how we change how we change the way we do things because I think it does start off from this premises that what we've been doing in the past is wrong and now we have to do things in the right way and that always starts off like an on a, a people then start becoming quite defensive to that and I think Mark hit on something that's quite um, pertinent and I think it is about not making people scared or guilty and it's like having this vision of like having something better and having this transformation to a better place rather than a place of less and going back the way because that's what people you know that's i think that's where you get that resistance to to having a different world to live in and um, when people start thinking that you've got to do without to have a better life and um, so that was one of the things that I wanted to bring up on but i think the big thing that we have to look at is it's not just focus on individual change. I know individual change will help like the market change, but we also have to remember that we live in this big system, whether it's a political system, educational system, um, financial system, all of these systems around us have actually created the mess we're in right now, the environmental mess we're in. So I think it's like rehauling the whole systems that we live in and having a system change is what we've got to look at. And in that system, we've got to look at all the inequalities. So, for instance, the coronavirus has really highlighted the inequalities within the UK, like the class divides, the BME divides, the, um, the financial divides, the social divides. They're all getting larger and larger, even within the UK. And it's, it's some of these divides and divisions now that we've got to think, right, these systems that we've been in are actually creating these bigger divides. So how do we change the systems that we're in? Well, that's a brilliant point. Uh, thank you, Zarina. Um, it's a very complex system. You know, the, the financial markets, the economic markets, as they are looking at GDP. And there's an absurdity as well. So prioritizing short-term growth over long-term sustainability. And this was discussed in um, Jeremy Lent's uh, book called The Patterning Instinct, um, in which he spells out the insane absurdity that's been going on. And he says, anything that causes economic activity of any kind, whether good or bad, adds to GDP. So an oil spill, for example, increases GDP because of the cost of cleaning it up. 
Yeah, I was going to say that. I was going to say that in the end, that GDP, we mm. also have to remember that GDP is also based on destruction. So the more destruction yeah. we have in the world, the higher the GDP is as well. So the more ill people you have, the more the more need for hospitals, doctors, pharmaceuticals. Is it, it's, the way GDP is, it's just, it's just ethically wrong the way we measure GDP. Absolutely. So, so what in the patterning effect, what he goes on to say is, is that we, we reach a level where a country's GDP per capita reaches a moderate level, but there is no correlation between the wealth of a country and the reported happiness of its population. And that's perhaps the area to focus on. Um, and in, in this, it, it's very hard to do this. The trouble is, is that in a free market wealth creation society, uh, for, for the wealth creators to swallow this uh, becomes difficult. And so Len had observed that, you know, the mainstream media unquestionably, you know, accept the mantra of our locked-in ideology that economic growth measured by G GDP is a social objective to be pursued. Well, it shouldn't be, really, should it? Um, and, and I think that's where, you know, where you sing, Zarina, is, you know, going to be a very proponent thing. And if I could, um, with this thought, uh, can, can I ask Charles to step in and, you know, share your thoughts? Charles? Oh, uh, I'm mastering my mute button. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I completely, um, completely, re really um, agree with Serena's point. It's actually probably maybe one of the more important points that we discuss all of tonight. And um, you know the how we take that, how we go forward from that. You see, I, I think a lot of people don't accept that as the truth. People question the truth. And I wanted to give you a quote um, from a famous, famous physicist called um, Arthur Schopenhauer. So Arthur Schopenhauer says this, all truth passes through three stages. The first is it's ridiculed. The second is it's violently opposed. And the third is it's accepted as self-evident. And um, I think that there's, I mean, that's kind of like a, probably a bit brash, but there's, you know, when we're, what we're talking about here is effectively a new kind of reality. What we're, we're saying what we want to have a more just world, for example, or we want to have the um, environment better taken care of and, and, you know, something that can support life for everyone. Um, well, right now, we're probably in a state of disbelief in different parts, and maybe there's some parts of the world that they're completely, yes, we can see that. There's Why is not everybody else uh, getting on board with that? That's mm -hmm. part of human nature. The problem that we've got, I would say as well, is the time is ticking on this one. Yeah. Um, we got to move fast, and um, faster than our politicians even though they may be great where we are or not, depend where you are, we need to move faster than they, they can talk on this one. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. what I wanted to say right now. Mm. Yeah, can I just I make a weak point here? Um, Charles, uh, the, the way all the cars are 
you know, there's less cars on the road, there's less planes flying, there's less ships sailing the seas, there's less industries spewing out their fumes and whatnot. Yeah, is is this is this what it's going to? Is this the climate we need for for to prosper as a, as a human race? I don't know. Um, I wish I wish I was that bright. I could tell you that's the answer. Um, I think that certainly um, we need to be producing less less of these gases into the atmosphere rapidly. Now, does that mean that we stop everything? Maybe maybe it means that we have to compromise in certain areas. Maybe it means that we're really investing fast into renewable technologies or, or clean energy um, or energy efficiency. I mean, if in Britain we could tackle energy efficiency in every single home and every single business, if we could just do that, not only would we save lots of money, we would really tackle our own you know, emissions here. That's still the area. Um, that's poor, and even in new construction, um, you know, directly here, if we could tackle that effectively, invest in it, deal with it, um, we'd be miles ahead. Uh, we're back here with uh, Late Night Live on Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM, and um, we're talking about climate change, and especially climate change after the lockdown and the environment. And I think, Charles... But were you did, 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 were you just wanting to finish a point? Uh, I don't know if you. I, you yeah, I, kind of, I may have lost it. I was so taken with all the adverts. It's great. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to get that 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 app for um, teaching te- learning Islam. I think it will work really well for me. Um, no, I'm I'm I think you know I think I made my point. I'd love to hear what everybody else has got to say. Zarina, maybe. Um, would you like to add to what Charles was saying? Yeah, um, I think another thing that we have to remember, there's a lot of focus around um, emissions in the UK. We have to remember that the UK is within a global context and what happens in the UK, the emissions we produce here don't just affect us here, they do affect the rest of the world. So I think when we're looking at like system change and political leadership, it has to be collective and we've got to start thinking more about the we, the global we, and not just focusing on me and our country and where we are now. I think that's one of the biggest system changes we have to start looking at. And I think it's where these global leaders come together and start thinking more, much more bigger. Um, actually, Mark, uh, if I bring you in here, I mean, you were talking about the biosphere. And um, absolutely, uh, when Zarina's talking about we've got to look beyond these boundaries, I mean, a coronavirus surely has taught us that, that we can't um, look at the world as a set of uh, distinct entities um, because um, coronavirus has not respected any of these boundaries at all. What, what do you think? Yeah, because uh, I remember saying this last time. It's interesting how something we can't see with the naked eye has just so uh, disrupted everything that the normal pattern of doing things on the planet. It's just, yeah, it's just incredible. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, I think we can't really take it. Uh, Thing, um, how was I going to say this? It's, it's, it's following on from what Serena was was saying. 
is if we just look at things from our own little point of view, from the silo mentality we all have, and that includes our national identity and you know uh, whatever identity that we have, have taken on, that's going to limit our view, our point of view, and it's also going to limit what's possible. So it's going to take something like um, really being willing to listen to what other people have got to say who have a very differing point of view. And for me, the challenge would be for me to listen to people who, who completely dismiss the idea of climate change. You know, that would be a challenge to hear someone um, say that and not make them wrong for it. They they have a particular way of looking at something. Maybe I can I can learn something. Um, so one possible way to do this would be to start listening to people who are different from yourself or have a different culture, a different look way of looking at things. And maybe there is something. First of all, there's maybe something I could learn. And secondly, there may be actually common themes. Even though we might be diametrically opposed, there may be common themes we can centre on. Okay, um, I, I mean that that's great, Mark and Zarina Charles. Um, you know, you were talking about these ideas and uh, and and boundaries, but I mean, as we're speaking right now, uh, I, I was reading a thing in the paper that India is preparing to evacuate a million people as a new super cyclone uh, mm. is due to hit the country this week. Um, and that's going to cause devastation in West Bengal, an area called Odisha, and then coastal areas of Bangladesh. Um, surely this, I mean, what, what, what do you make of these things? I mean, these are surely things that are now uh, becoming, we, we seem to see these all the time. And surely in a limited biosphere, we're now, this is now something we're going to see more and more. Uh, and what, what, do you, what do you say about this? Well, I'll come in on this one, Nadine. Yeah, sure, um, sure. So, so just uh, in terms of the the reporting and also the in occurrence of these so-called super cyclones, super hurricanes, whatever it is, we're seeing a higher frequency of them. That's that's certainly happening, and the damage. Um, it you know it's it, it's particularly difficult in these part in these parts of the world. In East Africa last year was very, very badly affected, um, similar kinds of things with, with extreme flooding and the loss of human life and livelihoods is, I think, almost impossible for us to really understand here, you know, to the extent that it's happening. And um, I, quite frankly, I don't think it's really given the presence that's needed at the in, in the international conferences about actually what is happening and what we need to do about it. We are now in the stage where we need to adapt. Um, we need to adapt. Even if we were to stop all the emissions tomorrow, there's still a degree of climate change that's happening that is damaging and killing people at higher rates than before. Now, there'll be certain parts of the world that say, well, we need to get rid of some of the population globally anyway, so why not? But that doesn't fit you know, with, you know, the wider UN values and, you know, what we, what we see, you know, we've got, to, we've got to be um, looking after each other. So I think that um, we've got to be prepared for that. There needs to be more funding 
coming from the global north to support these. And rather than being the kind of ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, needing to get in and work, adapt with communities, we know that there's going to be more of these kinds of events and the infrastructure that's needed needs to be start we need to start investing in that and taking care of that really as soon as possible i think it should be much higher up the agenda um at, at the international level and certainly what we do domestically in terms of supporting uh, colleagues overseas zarida yeah can i just add to that yeah. as well i just think um, i agree totally with what charlie's saying there um, and i just think what we have to look at is also take responsibility and i think that's where we shy away that we don't take responsibility of what we're doing here in the global north is having an impact somewhere else we don't see that connection and we shy away from that connection to say well you know, somebody else's lives are being lost and being devastated due to climate change, but it's actually because of our our um, lifestyle, our consumption, our dis you know the, the disposable lifestyle that we have here, and our throwaway lifestyle that we have here yeah. um, is contributing to that. That's why we don't make those connections, and I think it's really important that those connections are much are mm -hmm. highlighted much and much more at, at an everyday level, like just with normal everyday people, but also at a political level. Hi. Uh, Zarina, you just touched on one thing, our behaviour. Um, you know, how much do you think us as a race, uh, with the new generation coming through, so I'm 54 now uh, and I've got a couple of kids, and what seems to be the culture now is, like you're saying, a throwaway culture, buying things we don't really need. I and mean, we've all been there asking mm -hmm. our kids, you know, do you really need another pair of shoes when you get a knock on the door from Amazon drivers, you know, uh, the, the stuff that they don't need. The, the, other, the other point being is that, you know, there seems to be a big culture in getting deliveries home now. Uh, there's drivers all over the country, you know, they're just eating all the other ones, uh, delivering food. Now, when they deliver food, it's not because the people in the house can't find any food to eat. They're just... There's other reasons. I don't want to say they're just lazy, but there'll be other reasons, parties, togethers, whatever, special nights. But think of the amount of packaging that comes when yeah. they knock on the door and bring a meal for maybe four people. If you count them sometimes, there could be 20, 25, 30 pieces of packaging. So yeah. is, is that also something to do with it as well? The culture yeah, that's it. The whole lot, the whole packaging act. Has uh, the whole packaging stuff is all about convenience? So we've become this. We're having this lifestyle of having convenience. Everything's convenient, but that convenience is at a cost. It's at an environmental cost, and we don't see that. We just want to see things that are more and more convenient. So, for instance, now you can get satsumas and tangerines peeled, but in plastic and um, vacuum packed, so that you don't have to peel a satsuma. I mean, how ridiculous is that? I mean, I just find that so bizarre that we're having to resort yeah. to these things just because we want a lifestyle of just being convenient. Um, but we also have to remember that a lot of it isn't just a demand. We're actually sucked into yeah. this lifestyle. So there yeah. are like powers above that want us to have yeah. this kind of lifestyle so they can keep on selling and then we can have this economic growth. And we have to remember that as well. It's just being very conscious about it and starting to open our eyes and saying, look, do yeah. we really need to be sucked into this? Yeah. Just just one thing. I, I do actually work with a packaging company. And a, a few years ago, we resorted to 
uh, taking in a lot of uh, biodegradable packaging, which I'm, I'm really grateful for the people of Glasgow and uh, surrounding areas that have, they've taken to it all. So there is a huge um, demand and use of it now. Um, but the other point about the climate change, you know, I, I, am I right in thinking that, you know, the, the glaciers in the Himalayas, are, are they not as what they used to be? Are, are they retracting, I take it? Yeah, there's so much research. I mean, there is so much. You can just go on, onto the internet. You will see the devastation yeah. that's happened with the, the, the North Pole melting, the glaciers yeah. melting. I mean, like even if you look at Pakistan and you look at um, the small villages that are on the, right. the foot of the, um, the Himalayas, a lot of these villages over the last few years have been devastated with um, flooding because the ice is melting on the, on the, glacier, on the mountains. And and it's not just then it's not just the um, the movement the mig the, the migration away from the villages but it's also the soil erosion as well yeah. um, and then there's also the sanitization problems with yeah. the water and the flooding and then there's diseases there's so many issues and yeah. the biggest the biggest issue is then becoming resilient to that and, and bouncing back from that economically bouncing back back from that and a lot of these places they're not able to so it's not like having a flood here in glasgow or in, in persia like we've been having yeah it's devastation in other parts of the world hmm. so so you just you must have some jedi power there by the way because that's the point i was coming on to was pakistan because obviously i was there just a few months ago like i said earlier and when i was there i actually saw my wife saw these people standing at the side of the river now, this river is it's maybe maybe 20 feet wide. It's not a huge river. It's quite a small one. But years ago, when I was a wee boy, that river was filtered right to the top and flowing, fast flowing. Now I go back, and there's people waiting for the water to come in the river. So does that mean because the glaciers are not freezing and then it's not mel the water's not melting into the rivers, that it's having an adverse effect on the villagers waiting for the water in Punjab? There's, well, there's different, and um, Pakistan's quite a big region, and geographically there's different areas. So some areas in Pakistan are getting uh, affected by extreme drought, right, whereas other parts of Pakistan, because of where they are situated at the foot of the mountains, are getting, like, extreme flooding. Um, but it's flooding from the the melting of the, the rivers and the, the glaciers and rather than flooding from sea level rising. So you've got different different reasons um different areas that have been impacted by climate change for different reasons and you can see in pakistan is one of those these areas where you can actually see climate change the impacts of climate change are so visible in pakistan yeah and yeah. it is a shame because those areas that are okay. getting affected people just don't have the resources to oh. um recover from that so destroying uh, so does, does, does anyone else want to elaborate on that uh well, um, just just to to say a little bit. I mean, I, I we run a, a master's program at the at Cali Uni um, on climate justice, and every year we've had at least one or two people from Pakistan coming to do this course because it's such an important issue there, and yeah. um, also to learn how to communicate this to the people, you know, and and um, bring it bring it head away, but. Um, it is complicated. I mean, there's the there's also more waters being used in agriculture, and and it, the recharge of the Himalayas in general is a big area of sort of research discussion. Um, I I don't know um, what 
what the answer to this is. There are engineering solutions that can be done to actually preserve the water, you know, so you can slow it down. And it doesn't have to be massively expensive. Um, but and I've got a colleague at the university who's been involved in that kind of work in Nepal um, for a charity over there. Um, but it, again, you know, it's the will, it's developing, it's working with people in the country to look at this. Is this something that we can do? And as Zarina said, it's a very, very large area and many different problems arising because of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nias, you there? You want to come on? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I I really um, can example when living in Switzerland. So you know, been living there quite a long chunk of my life, and looking over to the Alps, the French Alps or the Swiss Alps, there's a lot of uh, snow that's reduced, reduced on Mont Blanc, it's reduced on uh, the glaciers as well, um, and and so you can actually see it. Um, and, and this is over like, you know, just over a decade that's passed. So it's, you know, I can certainly confirm it in that sense. Um, and at the same time, um, I think we have to be careful of um, people who are mis giving a lot of misinformation. And one of them is um, I, I found a, a movie that I thought would be Pro the environment, but wasn't. Um, it was by Michael Moore, um, and there was a, even a, a free version of it um, on YouTube that a lot of scientists um, are saying should be brought down, shouldn't be allowed, uh, because um, this movie, Planet of the Humans, uh, was trying to, you know, they were trying to uh, debunk how, um, you know, I guess like, uh, solar systems aren't working or uh, um, wind farms aren't really working like they should. Uh, in essence, they were basically mocking it all. Maybe in America there were issues, but they weren't looking at the whole world, and that was their mistake. So I think we really have to verify the information uh, that we're using and learn from other countries. So if I example again, Switzerland, uh, before bring in our guests again. Uh, in Switzerland, I took the garbage once a week. So every household does that. You take the garbage to the garbage dump, and so you're empowered to do it. You, and if you, you have to then separate every single thing. There were two lots of plastics, not just one, which I find absolutely fantastic. I wish we did it you know, here in, in the UK as well. Um, so there was never waste um, as such. Uh, it wasn't just dumped. There was uh, every single thing that, that was possible would be recycled. And that was the community decided to do that. And a lot of communities in Switzerland do this, um, and, and very economically as well. If you decide not to, you then have to pay uh, towards that. Um, Charles or Zarina or Mark, have you heard of these? Uh, systems or you know, perhaps is this part of the way forward as a solution and new education and learning from others? Maybe someone would like to make a point? Um, yeah, I, I'm happy to make a point. Um, 
Yeah, I think there's so many, so many good examples from across Europe, around, especially around waste. And um, I mean, just looking at our recycling here in the UK, well, in in Scotland, is is horrendous, um, because we, even as a is even as a country, we can't have, we don't even have one central recycling program, like. system compared to if you live in East Asia and you've got one different if you live in Fife. So we don't even have a coordinated recycling program within Scotland, so we can't even get that right. Um, and I think maybe there is that power in maybe putting it into the hands of the community, but we also have to remember is that we do pay taxes and this is some of the things that we pay taxes for. There's really saying how do we account for all of that as well? So so it's easy. So councils might easily say, right, okay, we're not doing this anymore. But then, are we still going to continue paying taxes for that service? And and it's about where do we put that money and what's important. So economically, we also have to consider that as well. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that answers some of your questions because I think that that economic power and that economic resources also actually influences what communities can do because sometimes communities are just expected to do things without actually given given the resources to do it. Sure, certainly. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's an economic situation as well. So you're absolutely right, um, and there are economic ways of doing it uh, successfully. Um, you know, it's it's not socialism. It's far from it. It's actually a way of reusing things and being resourceful um, <clears throat> and investing in, you know, your own country in essence. Mark, I think, had a point. Uh, um, he, perhaps you wanted to share it because I, I know you, you work in a solar panel environment as well, and I did did make a, a point to, to um, mention probably Michael Moore, who... I think is was the worst example of <laughs> exampling how solar panel isn't. Uh, so, Mark, uh, maybe you have some ideas. Yeah, I do. I've seen part of the film, and it's based on data from around about ten years back. So, it's it's certainly not accurate. And there is, he is pointing to certain things which we need to be aware of in the change to renewable energy is that it is an extractive um a lot of renewable energy is you know to build the solar panels and the um wind turbines is an ex- you know it needs extractive uh, we need to extract materials from the earth um so th- there is a challenge in that is how do we manage that um there are certainly i've been looking at uh, researching um, for companies which are looking for ways of recycling, for instance, solar panels. Now, you know, a lot of the solar panels back in the day are now coming back, coming up to their end of life. Is how do we deal with those solar panels, and how how do we um, strip them out? Can we reuse the materials again? Um, how do we deal with any he- um, heavy metals like um, cadmium if they exist within the um, the, you know, which is toxic how, how do we deal with that so there's there's a lot of challenges uh and more was, was right to point to them but he didn't what what he didn't do was actually show that even though um there is the for instance he, he showed about how 
uh, solar panels are made using quartz and, and coal. What he didn't show was that the use of the solar panels um, over time pays off. It covers off that initial cost, if you will, the cost of carbon. Um, that's paid off usually within about a couple of years. So it, it's quite distorted. It's, it's quite a distorted film. It doesn't really show the full picture. Um, and uh, and there's, luckily there's people out there wanting to at least point out some of the flaws in the film. It is flawed. Um, and and it, 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 it points out some of the problems we have. And it had, and it has flaws and inaccuracies in its, in its, um, in the, in what it says. So yeah, that's what I want to say about Michael Ball's film. Thanks. I, that's poignant. I, I wanted to cut it to come from one of the guests as well. Um, and, and you know, end of the day, we really need to be very careful of where information comes from and question it. Um, it's a discussion. It's um, two ways. Always will be. I know one of the guests earlier had said this as well. That um, you know, we need to talk about these things. We need to communicate it, and um, it's the only way that uh, we're going to come to an understanding of how we're going to have a more equitable future. It's not going to be an instant solution overnight, um, but every small step you know, will help. Thankfully, the government is investing billions in infrastructure, and that infrastructure will ease the demand and will help make it feel safer. Um, I cycle, um, and I don't feel safe cycling into Glasgow, um, but I, w I certainly w would feel much safer if they had bike lanes like in, uh, in Holland and uh, Belgium and some other countries that I've visited. Um, I'm going to pass <coughs> up to Nadine now because we're... We've got yeah. Well, we've got about five minutes to go uh, to the end of the programme, so this is the time where really we kind of want to know what you uh, want to say in conclusion to the end of the programme. Uh, one of the things I did want to mention, which I haven't had a chance to say, um, I noticed that um, the Labour Party is drawing up a lot of uh, proposals and Ed Miliband, who's the Shadow Business Secretary, was calling for plans to create a zero-carbon army of young people. So what he wanted to do was get young people uh, who don't have jobs to do things like planting trees, insulating buildings and working on green technologies. And he was saying that he wanted this to be like kind of almost like a, a post-war you know, uh, effort and um, using this, they would basically start working with businesses and workers and unions about a green recovery. Um, I guess uh, that was something for the future, maybe after coronavirus. How do you see things developing after? What What would you, if in an ideal world, what would you like to see after uh, lockdown ends and, and uh, where you see us going? So I'll maybe just start with, with uh, maybe Zarina, then Mark, and then yourself, Charles, if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, I'd like to say, I think, and you've I, got think a a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people have been starting to enjoy the outdoors, and um, yeah. you can see people enjoying to uh, eventually getting used to working from home. I think if we can get more people that are able to work from home, 
enjoy the outdoors more and appreciate that we are having a better air quality and that's coming from less pollution to take that onto board but take it onto board in terms of who we who we give the political power to so start thinking about who are we voting for what are we voting for start getting more involved in politics and start having a voice at, at a political level yep. i think that's really important fantastic a, a great message mark yeah um seconded regarding the political voice definitely yeah. Definitely more people get involved with it. It's important. It affects all of us. Um, definitely we'll see, a, a, you know, the, the rise of video conferencing. Um, and, and I'm certainly for myself seeing a much more appreciation of nature, much more wanting to go out there, learn about trees, learn about nature itself, um, uh, and also community to actually connect with other people, which you don't normally meet. So that's what yeah. I'm present to. Fantastic. That's a great message. Uh, and yourself, Charles, finally? Charles, if you can Hi, Charles. your yeah, mic. If you just unmute, unmute yeah. myself again. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 to me, I, I think all that's been said and also um, taking care of each other a little bit more. I think if people are more interested in each other, and I think that that's one thing that's happening I'm, I'm sure there's downsides to being at home with everyone but I'm, I'm certainly enjoying being having this time with my family when that's extended that will be even better but I think you know looking out for each other if we start doing that more and you know the human value maybe we've got a, a, a good chance at resolving the climate issue because I think it's within who we are for each other that we'll find the answers to this Fantastic. Well, I don't think you can get a better message than that. So in conclusion, I'd just like to thank you all, the guests, Charles Russell, Mark Hibbert, and um, uh, Zarina Ahmed for coming on the show uh, and being such great guests. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, uh, Niazbai and Abdulaziz, and um, I hope you'll join us all again tomorrow where we'll be on Late Night Live again, and we're going to be talking about relationships under whoa 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 <laughs> yep uh relationships under lockdown so that's going to be one heck of a show i hope you're going to come on it's going to be very lively until then kudafiz bye for me kudafiz Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content. 